We're in week four of Don't Give Up. This has been one of my favorite series I've ever been a part of. It, it really has. Uh, probably top five, top 10, probably top 30 of one of my favorite series. I you know I could narrow it down to 100 anyway. This is week four of Don't Give Up. I believe there's a blessing in this passage today. You are going to need to pay attention. There's a little bit of a Bible study in the middle but there's a blessing at the end. Uh, did your football team win yesterday? Did your baseball team win yesterday? Yes. Turn to the person next to you and say, go Astros. And now turn to the other person and ask him, why didn't you pick me first to say, go Astros too? All right, that was just me. We have a springboard passage that we've been reading ahead of every one of these messages. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. This was originally going to start off as a three-week series, and then it went to four in week four now. We're going to go six. We're going to go six. I think there's going to be six. But all of them, we've started with this. We're actually going to preach this text on, uh, on week six. But, but as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Let's bow our heads and pray before we dive in. Father, may everybody know when we leave today that you are gracious, you are loving, you are all-powerful, and you are filled with goodness. And as we live in a world that is tough and hard and wants to throw at us the ideas of quitting and giving up, I pray that we may be a people who persevere and endure until the end. And Father, we know that there is a reward to be had when it is all said and done. Father, thank you for the greatest example of all, and that is Jesus Christ who would not give up on the mission that you had for him. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, here we go. Children have a way of making us smile, don't they? Just some of the things they say, some of the things that they do, uh, they remind us of our innocence. I bet when you watch, by the way, we're in October, and that means Halloween. How many of you are going to get some candy on October 31st this year? That's right. How many of you parents are going to steal candy from your kids after they go to bed and they, don't, they won't ever know? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I mean, my hand's down, but I'm just saying, yes. And it just reminds us of our innocence and our childhood. These two boys up on the screen, let me tell you about them. They're best friends. They're in the first grade. They decided as best friends that they are going to get the same haircut. And the reason that they wanted to get the same haircut, church, is because they wanted to confuse their teacher. And they said, our teacher won't be able to tell the difference in us two if we have the same haircut. Don't you like that? That's called innocence. They don't see the color of their skin. They don't see different socioeconomic backgrounds. They don't see different neighborhoods. They don't see different histories. They just know that they love each other. And if we get a haircut, our teacher will be so confused. She won't know what to do. This next picture is a picture of Lucy. She's in kindergarten. This is the first day of school. She sees the future of her education coming right now. She's ready to take on the world with this educational journey, let me tell you. She's ready for the first day of school. But now here's a picture of her after the first day of school. <laughs> now, I... <laughs> is that not a microcosm of life right there? <laughs> Lucy said, I've had enough. 
first day of school and their last day of school. And, and, and go ahead and keep that up there. This is a picture of our lives. We start our lives with dreams and goals and aspirations of where we're going to go in life. And before we know it, the way the world treats us and the way Satan throws all that he has into our kitchen sink, we look more like Lucy when it's all said and done. Our hair is undone. We wonder what we've gotten into, and we feel like we don't know what we need to do next. We, we need to know this, and you need to know this, that innocence that you had as a child, God can recover that for you. Did you know that? He can give that innocence right back to you if you follow him. Do you remember growing up? I, I think most of you will. There were books, and I don't know, there's probably a name for these books, but there were novels, they're usually adventure novels, that you're reading along, and all of a sudden you get to the end of a page, and it tells you two different options of what page number to go to next. Do, do you guys remember these? Yeah. Name it. Say it, Lawrence. Choose your own adventure. That's right. Choose your own adventure books. Adventure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Would you guys be nice to me? Okay. Choose your own adventure books. <laughs> Innocence of teenagers. Um, where, where were we? We were, okay. The, the two, if you want the story to go this way, go to page 42. If you want the story to go this way, go to page 53. Do you guys remember those? And it, So those are pretty cool. You, you, you got to choose which direction you wanted to go in, in your story. I have to make a confession. Every now and then I would choose page 53 and I'd start reading page 53 and 54 and I didn't like the way 53 and 54 were going. Did any of you also do this? You went back to page 15 and you chose the other route. Life doesn't work that way, does it? We don't get to go back. We don't get to re-choose. We don't, you know what? I didn't like the way that went down. So I'm going to go back to the original part of the story and choose a different route. We are going to talk about a man in the Bible by the name of Joseph, who, who I bet if he could go back and re-choose some of the things that happened to him. You know what? I didn't like page 40. I'm going to go to 52. I bet Joseph would have done that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. It's the first book in your Bible. If you can't find Genesis... <laughs> it's right after the table of contents, okay? We love you guys. We love you. <laughs> it's right after the table of contents pages. We're, we're actually going to dive through 14 chapters, 37 through the end of the book, chapter 50. Joseph gets more real estate than anybody else in Genesis. You know that he gets more than Adam and Eve. He gets more than Noah. He gets more than Abraham. He gets more than Isaac and Jacob. He, Joseph gets more real estate in the book of Genesis than anybody else. He's Abraham's great-grandson. He's Isaac's grandson. He's Jacob's son. And he was Jacob's favorite son. Everybody say, uh-oh. <laughs> Jacob has a favorite son. He has 10 older brothers at the time. And his dad gives him the coat of many colors. Now, we, we hear that. Joseph got the best gift. It, this is more than Christmas time. One son got an iPad and the other's got mechanical pencils. It's, <laughs> it's more than that. Whenever he got the coat of many colors, this is what Jacob was telling his brothers. You see that coat? You see that coat of many colors? That means he's not going to be doing the work that you guys are doing out in the field. You see that coat? That means he's getting a greater inheritance than the rest of you boys are. That coat represented more than just the best Christmas present. 
It represented a lifestyle, a future lifestyle, a future inheritance. Joseph is my favorite son. And, and as you can imagine, the other brothers did not like Joseph. Verse 4 of chapter 37 says, but his brothers, what's the next word? Hated. Hated, Hated Joseph. It's not good when hate is in a family, is it? Yeah. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him. There's no hiding this. Scripture flat out says it. His father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Joseph was a teenager at the time. He was probably about 15 or 16 when he got the coat. 17 when this story really takes off. This was a dysfunctional situation. This was a dysfunctional family. There were three stepmoms living in the same house with Jacob. That's going to be a problem. There are all these boys who didn't like Joseph. There's jealousy. There's envy. If there were reality TV back then, this would be called keeping up with the Jacobians or something. I don't know what they would be, but they would just be the same way, be making a lot of money, and they have no talent at all, just like that other family who does that. Um, we don't get to choose our families, do we? And sometimes that means dysfunction. Sometimes that means pain. Sometimes that means mistreatment. Sometimes that means abuse. Sometimes that means isolation. That means loneliness. That could mean abandonment for you. You didn't get to choose your family. And sometimes that's what prompts us to give up. You, do you know the feeling? You feel trapped. You don't feel like this can get fixed. You don't know how to get out of the situation. You're in, a, you're in a dysfunctional situation, but it did not make Joseph give up. Joseph can relate to that kind of a pain. He didn't help his cause. Joseph had a dream that his brothers were bowing down to him. He had the first I had a dream speech, but his did not go as well as Martin Luther King Jr.'s. It was a dream where all of his siblings were bowing to Joseph. Look at verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So just a little advice. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. If you have a dream that your siblings are bowing down to you, say nada. <laughs> Don't say anything. If you're at the breakfast table, hey, you have any dreams? Lie. I'm giving you permission to lie. Say, I had a dream that some guy gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew or something. Just some weird story that doesn't make any sense. And then they go on in verse 19. Here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns or, or, or one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Let's kill him. Joseph had an older brother by the name of Judah. Judah said this. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother? Let's make some money off this guy. We'd have to cover up the crime. CSI is going to come along. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmael-like traitors. After all, he is our brother. Oh, come on. Our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. And they get to do what every sibling has always wanted to do to their siblings. Let's sell your sibling into slavery. They actually got to do it. And he saw, <laughs> he's at one point or another, you, you don't do it. But he gets sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar is the bodyguard, the head of the bodyguard for Pharaoh. And he gets sold to this man named Potiphar. And they decide to kill a goat. The, the brothers kill a goat. They spread the blood on the coat of many colors, and they give it to Jacob, the dad, showing that he died. And Jacob is grieving. He is heartbroken. He is done for. He believes that his son Joseph dies. All, 
All the while, Joseph is alive in Egypt, serving as a slave to Potiphar. Not ideal, but Joseph lives with such integrity and wisdom that Potiphar begins to see something in Joseph that is unique, and so he puts him in charge of everything. He puts him in charge of his management, his, his, his business, all of his employees. Joseph becomes in charge, so much so where he says, I'm going to take an early retirement. Joseph, you take care of this. The Bible says that Potiphar actually concerned himself with nothing while Joseph was in charge. But Potiphar had a wife. She was probably a trophy wife, beautiful woman from Egypt, more than likely. The Bible says that Joseph was handsome and well-built. And so Potiphar's wife every day started to pursue Joseph and try to seduce him and get him to go to bed with her. Chapter 39, verse 7 says, Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. And by the way, that's PG version in the Hebrew that is much more intense, that language right there. But that's what Potiphar is up to. And then verse 9 and 10, this is what Joseph says. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against who? God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he, now this is key, he kept her out of her way. No emails, no texts, no phone calls. He kept her out, no flirting in the office. He kept her out of his way as much as humanly possible. You think Potiphar's wife is happy about that? No, she's mad. She says, you going to turn me down? I'll have something to say about that. I'll pull something over on you right here. And Potiphar's wife comes up with an agenda, comes up with a plan, and so she pursues him one more time. Joseph sees her coming. Joseph turns around and runs away from this woman. She grabs the coat, and he's going to get the No, I'm not getting the coat. I'm running. And she has the coat in her hand, and she yells, rape, rape. And the security guards come, and she shows him the coat. And now Potiphar, the head of the bodyguard of Pharaoh, throws Joseph in prison. Now, you need to know this. That is interesting, because Potiphar, the head of the bodyguard of Pharaoh, that, that is a synonym for execution squad. He was ahead of the execution squad. He didn't usually throw people in prison. He usually just executed them. And if you're going to mess with Potiphar's wife, there is no prison time for that. You're getting executed. Potiphar's favorite mode of execution was burying people alive. That was his favorite mode of killing people. But yet he throws Joseph in prison. Why do you, th why do you think he threw him in prison and didn't execute him? Mo we don't know this. Most scholars agree because Potiphar probably trusted Joseph more than he trusted his wife. <laughs> and so just to save face, this is what integrity got Joseph here, just to save face, he was only thrown in prison for how long? For 10 years, Joseph lives in an underground dungeon, an underground prison. Talk about a disappointment, right? This isn't the way I saw life. This isn't the dream I had <laughs> that I was telling my brothers. But here's a key point in the story of Joseph disappointment did not turn into justification for disobedience. Disappointment did not turn into justification for disobedience. This is not the way Joseph would have had life go. He ends up in prison for something he didn't do. He ends up being attempted murder down into a cistern, and then his brothers sell him into slavery. That, that, that wasn't part of Joseph's plan for his life. If I could go back in the adventure book and do it all over again, I would choose a different page. 
But Joseph didn't take his disappointment and turn it into justification for disobedience, especially in the area of sexual temptation. In the context of this story, we do this a lot. We say, okay, God, if I'm still single, and I said, if I'm still single by the age of 35, I'm going to take things, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. And I had a plan to live pure, and I had a plan to follow your plan for purity, God. But if you're, if you're not going to provide a spouse, then I'm just... And Joseph could have done that. He was single. He was never going to get married as a slave. That was a rule of the slavery. You're never going to have a wife. And then a, and then a woman, and probably a good-looking woman, comes on to him. And he did not take this appointment and turn it into a justification for disobedience. He kept his purity. He kept following God's plan for his life. And yet... How often do we do the opposite? Well, God, because you put me in this situation, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, I involved myself in that. But look at my life. Look at what you put me into. So we're disappointed and we give up on obedience. Interesting phrase in chapter 39, verse 9. Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Wait a minute here. It would be a great sin against God. Most of us would be saying, how could God do such a thing to me? How could you put me in this situation? If you're going to do this to me, I'm going to do that to you. How could you put me in prison like this? I didn't even do it. How could you sell me off into a foreign land? How could you, God? How could you? And we shake our finger at him, and Joseph is still saying, how could I, how could I do this to him? He still sees God as a good God. And maybe your situation isn't what you imagined it would be today. And you may be saying, you know what? There's, if you're single in here, there may be nothing worse than being alone. And you're going to find some married people that would say there's nothing worse than being married and wishing you were alone. <laughs> you may find some people, not in this room, though. But here's the question. Where is God in the midst of your disappointment? Where is he? Where is God in the midst of your dungeon? Where is God in the midst of your devastation? Where is God in the midst of your disappointment? There are two interesting lines that we find in chapter 39, verse 2. Here's the first one. 39 verse 2, this, is, this one is while Joseph is a slave, the Lord was with Joseph. Next one, 39 verse 21, this is while he's in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. Where was he when he was a slave? The Lord was with Joseph. Where was he when he was in prison? The Lord was with Joseph. Where is the Lord with you right now in the midst of your disappointment? The Lord is with you. He does not leave you. How many of you are grateful for that today? He never leaves us. So Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can decipher what the dream is. There's a cupbearer who got to know Joseph in prison, so that guy knew how to interpret dreams. So he tells Pharaoh about this dream interpreter by the name of Joseph, and, and here's what happens, verse 38. Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of, of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. I'm waiting for someone to say that to me. Clearly no one else. Anyway, <laughs> verse 40, you, I have ego problems. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. It wasn't long before there was a famine in the land, but Joseph interpreted that dream. So he said, hey, let's, 
Let's stockpile grain for seven years. We're going to have seven years of good crop. Let's stockpile and get prepared for the seven years of bad crop. And so they had grain stored away for the seven years of famine so that all the Egyptian people, especially those in the main capital city, would get to be fed during the famine. But who doesn't get fed during the famine? The people on the outskirts around Egypt, Joseph's family, Joseph's brothers, Joseph's dad, Joseph's mom. They're still living out in the middle of nowhere. They're going to go hungry. Jacob tells his brothers, I hear there's some dude in Egypt who stockpiled grain. Go into Egypt and see if they will be gracious and merciful. And so the brothers go into Egypt, and they go up to the court, to the steps, to the front door of the man who is in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And what do they do? they bow down to Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. They haven't seen him since he was 17 years old. Joseph's probably 39 now. So they hadn't seen him in 22 years. They didn't know it's him, but they bowed down. Do you remember the dream? They bowed down to Joseph, and Joseph can't hold it in any longer. And this is what's said in verses 1 through 5 in chapter 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers. When he told them who he was, then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace, I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They couldn't even talk. They, they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. I don't doubt they were backing up a little bit. <laughs> Do we see a ghost? So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you... <laughs> you remember? <laughs> whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset and don't be angry. This is just called forgiveness, my friends. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Did Joseph give up on God's plan? No. Man, if anybody could have given up, it was Joseph. And then the, the verse of all verses, chapter 50, verse 20, as for you, he's still looking at his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Very interesting line. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for Okay, time out. Joseph called evil, evil. It's okay to call evil, evil. Actually, it's not only okay, it's needed. We need to call evil, evil. Child abuse is... Child exploitation is... Mistreatment of a spouse is... Yeah, let's call it what it is. We can't wrap our heads around what's good and what's bad in our world because we're not going to be truthful. Joseph looked at his brothers, and with forgiveness and love, he said what you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Let me just tell you this. There was no church lingo here of, oh, God had a plan the whole time. You ever had that said to you in a situation that's already painful? Oh, don't worry. Brush it off. God had a plan the whole time. How about you just... <clears throat> no, you need to know this. It is not God's will 
that you were abandoned as a child. That's not God's will. Sin is never God's will. It is not God's will that you were isolated. It is not God's will if you were beaten. It is not God's will if you were mistreated. It is not God's will if there has been evil done against you. That is not God's will. But the good news of this verse is this. No matter how much evil has happened to you, God is bigger than the evil that's happened to you, and he can cause good to come out of it. He's bigger than the darkness of this world. Satan can throw the kitchen sink at you, and he can throw the kitchen sink at me, but God is bigger than the evil and the dark forces of this world. You meant it for evil. I'm, I'm going to call a spade a spade, boys. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's a New Testament version of this, and we know that in all things, God works for the, good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's the, here's the sermon right here. You never know what you give up when you give up. You never know what you give up when you give up. What if Joseph had given up? What if he gave up uh, in the prison? What if he gave up during slavery? What if he gave falsely accused? I can't do it anymore. I quit. What would we have missed out on? What would Israel had missed out? What would that family had missed? You never know what you give up when you give up. Church, friends, mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers, kids. You don't know what's at stake. It's not just about you. It's not just you giving up on... There are other people at stake here. There are other people affected by your choice to endure and persevere and stay in the fight and fight the good fight of faith. There are other people affected, and you may never even know who they are. There's kids, there's grandkids, there's great-grandkids. You may start a chain reaction for the positive, or you may start a chain reaction for the negative. You don't know who's at stake or what's at stake by you not giving up. You never know what you give up when you give up. And that, that, this needs to be said. There are two kinds of people in this room. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are two kinds of people you will encounter this week. And it's two different kinds of people, the people that live in victim mode for the rest of their life or the people who live in victory mode for the rest of their life. There is enough hurt in this world that will happen to you. If you choose, if you want to, you can live in victim mode the rest of your life and always struggle, and always not be able to get by, and never be able to overcome, and never, well, I, I, he continues to, to do this because, because of that thing that happened in my childhood. I'm going to continue to struggle, and just struggle, and struggle, and struggle, and struggle in recovery mode forever. I'm, I'm being sensitive. I know there's a recovery time. I know there's a healing time, but we as Christians, as those under the blood of Christ, do not have to live in victim mode the rest of our life. We get to live in victory mode. We get to live from victory because Jesus has been victorious over death and sin and evil. Everybody, but, hey, if you want to live in victim mode, I promise you the world will give you enough to do it. We can all play that card all day long. The person sitting next to you and you and the person sitting to the other side of you can. Or we can do it, jo I mean, Joseph didn't live in victim mode and he could have. What happened to him did not did not weaken him for the rest of his life. It strengthened him for the rest of his life. It turned him into who he was, into the leader in the country of Egypt. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 puts it this way. Boy, this is good. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is, say it. You need to yell it. The old life is... Gone. 
One more time. The old life is, and new life has begun. That's your choice. If you have Christ, you have that choice. Past is in the past. I'm not saying it was good. I'll even call it evil if it was evil. We're not saying it's not evil. We're saying, in Christ, the old life is gone, and now I have a new life that I can live victoriously ahead of me. I don't have to be a victim. I can live from victory. I don't have to live weak and struggle in recovery mode for the rest of my life. And and, and by the way, have, have you ever noticed some of the most successful people on the planet that have done amazing things? When you dig into their story, there's always a heartbreak sometime earlier in their life, and they have chosen rather to just live in the dungeon of that heartbreak. They have chosen to overcome it and live victoriously. It's a part of all of our stories. But the old life is gone. A new life has begun in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It comes down to this question. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can redeem any situation? You believe that God can overcome evil? Do you believe that there was a man who predicted that he would die and then he could, he could raise again three days later and that he did? Do you believe that? What's the point of Joseph? All right, here's the point of Joseph. You won't believe how much I cut out of this sermon to get to the point. We're cutting out a lot. We're saving 20 minutes of human philosophy just to get down to the point. You're going to get home 20 minutes early and all God's people said... That was too firm. (laughs) What's the point of Joseph? Okay, tune in. Here's the point of Joseph. There was a family that was saved, not because of their goodness, but because of Joseph's goodness. We were all saved, not because of our goodness, but because of Jesus' goodness. There was a seed that was protected and saved. It was the seed of Judah, so that we could have the lion of Judah. So that we could have the, the family saved, so that there could be a nation that would provide to us the Messiah and the Savior of the world. We all have the opportunity of salvation today because Joseph would not give up. Not only was the family saved, the killers were saved. The killers were saved by the one who was killed. The killers were saved by the one who was killed. We are saved today by all of us Christ killers. Good job in the community. All of us Christ killers are saved by the one who was killed. And we are, they were not saved because of their obedience. They were saved because of Joseph's obedience. We are not saved because of our obedience. We are saved because of his obedience. We are not saved because of our faithfulness. We are saved because he would not give up. Joseph wouldn't give up on God's plan for his life. And so his family wins. Jesus would not give up on God's plan for his life, even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was tempted to give up and he was sweating blood, and so we win. Joseph's family was secure and protected because Joseph had forgiveness. We are secure and protected because Jesus is willing to forgive. Oh, I'm glad Joseph didn't give up. Wow. And you don't know what you give up 
when you give up. And you may never have a son or a daughter or grandson or granddaughter or family member or neighbor. Any, they may never recognize it. They may never come back and say thank you. They may never say, hey, I'm grateful back in 1971 or back in 2019 that you didn't give up. They, they may never do that. Just like we hardly ever say, thank you, Joseph, for not giving up. How often do you recognize Joseph in your prayers? Never. But you never know the line of people who's going to be blessed because of your endurance and your faithfulness and your willingness to never give up. You never know what you give up when you give up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Joseph that points us straight to the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Joseph who his brothers probably thought he was dead, but he was alive. And thank you for Jesus, who many assumed he's still dead today, but he is alive. And in the same way that Joseph became king, Jesus is the king, and he is the king of kings. Father, we want to say to you, thank you. Even in our unfaithfulness, you are faithful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, just a second, just a second. Just a second. Joseph's family wasn't saved until they bowed down to the king. They thought he was dead. Slaves die. And when they bowed down to the one who thought they thought was dead, oh, he's alive and he's king, then they were protected. When we bow down to the one who once was dead, but now is alive, and he's not the king of Egypt only, he's the king of all kings, amen? amen. He's the king of the universe. It's not until we bow down and surrender our lives to him that we are secure and protected for all of eternity. Have you done that? Have you done that? Would you do that today if you haven't? Let's stand. Let's sing this invitation song.